Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today is Memorial Day, a day to remember the sacrifice of our brave military men and women who have given their lives in service of our nation. On this Memorial Day, Dr. Kenneth Hill and historian Bill Federer discuss America's Christian heritage and how many of the Founding Fathers were committed men of faith. We have today with us, by telephone, Bill Federer. Bill is one who is active in letting people know, disseminating the truth about our Founding Fathers and about our government and about America's God and country, and that's the name of a book. It's an encyclopedia of quotations that Bill has put together, and it's a fascinating and fantastic work. Bill, congratulations on such a fine book that you've put together. Thank you so much, Kenneth. How did you come about writing this book, and what's it all about anyway? I looked for a book like this. I thought certainly somebody compiled all the inaugural addresses of the presidents that referred to God. Certainly somebody compiled all the Supreme Court decisions where they made reference to God. Certainly somebody compiled all the acts of Congress when they put in God we trust in our currency, when they put under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, when they chose the Star-Spangled Banner that had the fourth verse that mentioned in God we trust. I thought somebody would have compiled these and I could just pick it up and use it as a reference book. Well, nobody had, so I spent two years putting this together, and it is the most comprehensive book on the godly heritage of America that exists in print. It's over 2,100 direct quotations from all those different sources. There's no commentary, no prologue, no conclusion. It is just an encyclopedia of quotations. All the quotes refer to God, the Bible, Christianity, religion. So you can solve any argument, stop any discussion, and lay the facts straight. Let's read what the founders said. Here's a quote that I want to read from the flyleaf. By the way, I will tell folks, one thing that I noticed when I picked up America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations by Bill Federer, I noticed the fact that there was no mention of Bill Federer, except for your name being there as being the compiler. There was also no information that was commentary, just as he said. It's just the facts speaking for themselves. Here's one of the things in the flyleaf. I believe that the next half century will determine if we will advance the cause of Christian civilization or revert to the horrors of brutal paganism. Now, who said that? That was President Theodore Roosevelt in 1909. And it's phenomenal when we see that so many of our presidents were strong Christian men. Teddy Roosevelt also said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. We've been lied to throughout history as to the faith of our leaders. Woodrow Wilson, he said, I am sorry for the men who do not read the Bible every day. I wonder why they deprive themselves of the strength and of the pleasure. I think that God is calling us to get back to our roots. If we get cut from the anchor of our heritage, we can float on the sea of confusion and be lost in whatever other people are planning for us. Well, we have a toll-free phone number for folks to call if they'd like to order your book or if they want to have more information about the book itself. That's one 800 So you think it's crucial then, Bill, for Christians in this day and hour to have these direct quotes as opposed to reading revisionist history? Exactly. I was talking to an architect in downtown Dallas. He came up to me and he says, I bought your book. We have an office Bible study. Somebody came in wanting to stop it saying separation of church and state. He said, I just opened the book up to the 1892 Supreme Court decision that says that this is a Christian nation, and our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. And to think that our Supreme Court said that in 1892, and the fellow just turned around and, and didn't have anything to say and left the room. 
little bit of information allowed the gospel to stay in that business. And so many Christians are backing down from their schools, from their school boards, from their place of work because they don't know the truth. And it's time that we either take the truth or Edmund Burke, whose quotes in this book, said the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do what? Nothing. So it's time for us to do something, to take a stand, because if we don't, I believe that those with an agenda that is not Christian, they're realizing that the body of Christ is beginning to rumble, beginning to wake up, and I feel that they're making a mad dash at the gate, trying to usurp our liberties and freedoms as fast as they can before we stand up to the full stature of Christ. So the urgency is upon us. I think urgency is upon us. I would agree with you, Bill, that it is a very important time in which we live, and we have a great opportunity if we're armed with the facts, with the quotes in this case, to be able to refute some of these onslaughts against the Christian values that have made our country great in what it is today. I did notice in that quote from Teddy Roosevelt that I read and that you identified that he said this century was going to be pivotal. Well, indeed it has been and is at this point, and I'm afraid that we're reverting to paganism. Now, having that fear and having seen that all around us in the media and the culture itself, how is this book being received? It is a book that stands unashamedly for the Constitution and for God as well as for the country. How is it being received these days? The response is phenomenal. It's absolutely being absorbed would be the right word. We are at the Republican State Convention in Texas, and we sold hundreds of them hand over fist, and pretty soon everybody was walking up saying, I want to buy one of these books because everybody else has one. We had judges, we had lawyers, we had state representatives. We had senators come up. Senator Phil Graham got one. I met him later on an airplane. And he said, oh, yeah, I have your book. I've used it several times in speeches. Another United States senator was on the plane, and I was talking with this person and explaining to them how our founding fathers not only had to lay their hand upon a Bible to swear into office, but they had to swear that they believed in the Bible. And she said, you're kidding. I said, yeah. And I opened up the book and leaned over the airplane seat there, and I started reading to her. The Constitution of the State of Delaware, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Vermont, New Hampshire, all these different states that had oaths of office where they had to swear that they were Christian, that they believed in the Bible before they could take their seat. And she said, this is phenomenal. She said, I have to have this book. Before it was over, she said, I heard you on the Michael Reagan show, who's out in California. And they all asked for my card, and I gave them the card, and Dan Quayle sent me a thank you note. He had gotten a copy of the book. Jack Kemp sent a thank you note. He had gotten a copy. We're finding out that it's reverse censorship. The Christian principles have been censored out of our heritage, and now people are excited about getting them back in. I'm excited about our book getting into all the different bookstores, Christian as well as secular. I want to encourage all the listeners to call the Southwest Radio Church to order this book, and you'll get your best deal. America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations, the book that Bill's talking about. He's the uh, compiler. Uh, 850 pages <laughs> is how big this book is. We're talking about a real encyclopedia. We're talking about a huge volume. It is chocked full, with no commentary, chocked full of quotations and also with the references for those quotations so folks can go to the original documents, if they wish, and find it out for themselves. Exactly. They can go back and do more research and study and dig in. The hardest part about writing this book was stop writing it because there is just an overwhelming amount of evidence. Our founding fathers were members of Bible societies. Several of the signers of the Constitution formed Bible societies. They wrote tracts. They wrote long, different tracts to get people saved. They held strong standards for Jesus Christ. Bill Federer is our guest. The book is America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. 
Lord willing, and the time that we have, Bill, we want to talk about specific issues. We want to talk about some direct quotations. Let's talk about some general ones, if we may. And I'm picking these off of the flyleaf. Noah Webster was the leading educator of his time. We have Webster's Dictionary. His name is synonymous with education. And he said that education is useless without the Bible. We need to go back and understand why someone like Noah Webster would say that sort of thing and what else they said, too. Even Harvard University had things to say to its students, did it not, about the study of the Bible? Definitely. That the most important thing was to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Imagine that, going to Yale and Harvard and, and them telling you that you had to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, one of the quotes here from Noah Webster, he said, In my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is more evident to my mind that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. So every time somebody picks up a Webster's Dictionary, you need to remember that that man was a strong Christian. Well, Benjamin Franklin, you know, has been maligned often as being some sort of a, of a nasty kind of guy. And yet, in his public writings and his public opinions that were presented, he presented something somewhat opposite, didn't he? Definitely. Benjamin Franklin wrote in March 9, 1790, to Ezra Stiles, who was the president of Yale. He said, As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion, as he left them to us, is the best that the world ever saw or is likely to see. He even went on to say, Whoever shall introduce into public affairs the principles of primitive Christianity will change the face of the world. He wrote that in March 1778 to the French ministry. Whoever shall introduce into public affairs the principles of primitive Christianity will change the face of the world. He also said a Bible and a newspaper in every house, a good school in every district, all studied and appreciated as they merit are the principal support of virtue, morality, and civil liberty. He was not the deist that they try to make him out to be. His definition of deism was supporting all Christian sects and all Christian denominations. He corresponded with George Whitfield, who was the great evangelist of the Great Awakening in America. America was 13 isolated colonies, and George Whitfield's preaching united them prior to the Revolution. He drew crowds of 30,000 people without a microphone and preached to them. Benjamin Franklin built the first building for the University of Pennsylvania as an auditorium for Whitfield to preach in. Benjamin Franklin published all of George Whitfield's journals and speeches and was one of the main proponents of this evangelist. I'd like to read the last letter that George Whitfield received from Benjamin Franklin. He said, I sometimes wish that you and I were jointly employed by the crown to settle a colony on the Ohio, to settle in that fine country a strong body of religious and industrious people. Might it not greatly facilitate the introduction of pure religion among the heathen if we could, by such a colony, show them a better sample of Christians than they commonly see in our Indian traders? So here's Benjamin Franklin wishing that he and George Whitfield could start a Christian colony. So I think that, yes, definitely there has been a revisionist history trying to paint Benjamin Franklin, as well as the other founders, as profligates, as immoral, as people without values, but when we get back and we read the truth, we see that, yes, definitely, our country has a strong Christian heritage. Well, I remember a number of years ago, uh, Bill, when I was taking a class that was required by one of the educational institutions that I happened to be in at the time, 
there was required the reading of an original book that had been reprinted about George Washington the Christian. Uh And I went through that book, and my eyes were open to the man because I had been told that he was the father of our country, literally, that he was a profligate sinner, that he was not a Christian, and he had no faith, and all these other things. And then when reading the public statements as well as private statements and the various viewpoints presented by this early writer, it was exciting to see the truth. George Washington's first order to his troops on July 9, 1776, said that General hopes and trusts that every officer and man will endeavor to live and act as becomes a Christian soldier, defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. And then in Valley Forge, that terrible time, May 2, 1778, Washington sent an order to his troops, and he said, To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to laud the more distinguished character of Christian. One of the exciting quotes that I found was a letter from George Washington to Brigadier General Thomas Nelson, who obviously the Thomas Nelson Publishing House is from his name. Mm-hmm. This is dated August 20th, 1778. George Washington writes, The hand of providence has been so conspicuous in all this, the course of the war, that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith, and more wicked than that if he has not gratitude to acknowledge his obligation." But it will be time enough for me to turn preacher when my present appointment ceases. Here's George Washington kidding that he might be a preacher after he gets out of the army. We want folks to know that these sets of quotations that you are giving come from the book, America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations by Bill Federer. And it is available through Southwest Radio Church. And that phone number for you to call, if you want to call right now, feel free to do so. And 1-800-652-1144. That's one 800 652-1144. Now, Bill, we've been talking about those at the founding of our country, but also there's a fellow that has not been included in many of the quotation books, even though he's one of the finest communicators, I guess, that has appeared on the scene in the last hundred years or so. This fellow also was president of the United States for eight years during one of the most favored times, I would think, of our nation in quite a number of ways. That guy's name was Ronald Reagan, and a lot of quotes have just simply disappeared that he had made concerning God and concerning country. And here's one that you bring out. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Fantastic quote. And yet, when you look in the books of quotations, you won't see much from Ronald Reagan. That's right. There are so many quotes from him. He was such a godly president, certainly, I would consider him the most godly president in the last century. He passed a Public Law 97-280, which declared 1983 as the year of the Bible. Imagine that. Imagine a president of the United States declaring a year the year of the Bible. doesn't seem like 1983. It seems like 1883 as far as we're at right now. In that law, he wrote that he signed, it says, Deeply held convictions springing from the Holy Scriptures led to the early settlement of our nation. Biblical teaching inspired concepts of civil government that are contained in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. He went on in 1988 to sign Public Law 100-307, which declared a national day of prayer. And all through that, he talks about the importance of our nation coming back to God. He took a strong pro-life stand. He says, we cannot diminish the value of one category of human life, the unborn, without diminishing all the value of all human life. There's no cause more important. Truly, Ronald Reagan, when history books are written, maybe not revisionist history books, but history books like this, when they're written, we'll see what a tremendous man of God
we're talking with Bill Federer here on the Southwest Radio Church Watchman on the Wall broadcast. Bill is the author of America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations, an 850-page book that is a must for you to have in your home library, not to sit on a shelf and certainly not to read through necessarily in one sitting, but it is an encyclopedia. It is a reference work, and it will help you immensely in understanding what our founding fathers and what our godly governmental officials have thought about all through the years. Also, it has quotes from those who are not in government, and we may talk about those in just a bit as well. But it is available from Southwest Radio Church, 1-800-652-1144. You know, I'd like to say one quote by General Douglas MacArthur, who was the Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces in the Pacific during World War II. He was also a five-star general, commander of the U.N. forces during the Korean War. Listen to what General MacArthur recounted. History fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. There has either been a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral lapse or a progressive deterioration leading to ultimate national disaster. I feel the Lord right now is calling on the listeners, calling on you right now to let the Spirit of God cause a revival to take place in your heart so that we can bring a revival to our country of righteousness over and over again, the presidents would say, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And as we do our part and take a stand for righteousness and humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways, I believe he will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land. Amen, and that's what we're looking for. And I think that we need to challenge you, the listener, to do exactly as Bill has said, and let's talk to God about this issue. Let's be humble before the Lord. Let's not be arrogant. We have nothing to be arrogant about. Let's be ready for God to work in our lives. It's important for us to realize it's not government that's going to make the changes, but God certainly can make the changes through us. So it's important for us to be involved and important for us to be ready, yielded for the working of the Lord. There's one other individual who is well-known and somewhat, I'm afraid, despised in Christian circles for a theory that he espoused, which was not a new theory, but an old one. And it certainly was just a theory, and it certainly is not provable, nor is it correct. He had something very interesting to say. This guy was Charles Darwin. When we talk about evolution and we talk about the denigration of society, evolution always enters into that. This is what he had to say, one quote that you have from him. To suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances, could have been formed by natural selections seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Here's a man, Charles Darwin, his theory and the writings and all of that that have gone with it have put secular humanism to the fore. Here we have this fella saying it's absurd. Yeah, there's another quote by him in his Origin of Species that he wrote in 1859. Charles Darwin wrote, Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this, perhaps, is the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory. So he even admits the objections that are there because there is no geological proof for evolution. Here's another quote he said, For I am well aware that scarcely a single point is discussed in this volume on which facts cannot be adduced often apparently leading to conclusions directly opposite to those at which I arrived. It's interesting to see 
that the guy that authored Theory of Evolution didn't believe it the way other people said he did. Near the end of his life, Charles Darwin confessed. He said, I was a young man with unformed ideas. I threw out queries, suggestions, wondering all the time over everything. And to my astonishment, the ideas took like wildfire. People made a religion of them. And that's what they did. You know, I'd like to quote another famous scientist, Vernon Magnus Maximilian von Braun, or Vernon von Braun, who was the father of the American space program. He said, in this age of spaceflight, when we use modern tools of science to advance into new regions of human activity, the Bible, this grandiose stirring history of the gradual revelation and unfolding of the moral law, remains in every way an up-to-date book. He says, I find it as difficult to understand a scientist who does not acknowledge the presence of God as a superior rationality behind the existence of the universe as to comprehend a theologian that would deny the advance of science. He goes on to say that the guidelines of what we ought to do are furnished in the moral law of God. It is no longer enough that we pray that God may be with us on our side. We must learn to pray that we be on God's side. So a tremendous scientist that believed in God, that believed in the creator of the world. Well, this book, America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations, has quotations from all walks of life and not just from founding fathers, not just from 200 years ago. I think that's one thing that makes it such a valuable tool. When you put it together, I'm very thankful that God helped you to understand that that was necessary. I think that that makes it far more useful than if it had just been from antiquity, so to speak. One of the things I find fascinating, the uh, state constitutions. The founders of our country had a federal constitution, and after they signed the federal constitution, those exact same people went back and wrote state constitutions. Back then, they were very leery of a federal constitution. Only 39 of the 55 delegates actually signed the federal constitution. They were afraid to yield rights of the states to this new entity because they just got done winning the rights of the states from England. So the state constitution, in their eyes, was the most powerful document over their lives. Every single state constitution had an oath of office. Again, they not only sweared into office upon a Bible, but they had to swear that they believed in the Bible in order to hold office. And I'd like to take a moment and read to the listeners some of the oaths of office for the states. This is the state of Delaware. It says, Article 22, Every person who shall be chosen a member of either house or appointed to any office or place of trust shall make and subscribe the following declaration to wit, I do profess faith in God the Father, in Jesus Christ his only Son, in the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore. I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Here's the Constitution of the State of Massachusetts, passed in 1780. It says, The governor shall be chosen annually, and no person shall be eligible to this office unless at the time of his election he declare himself to be of the Christian religion. Chapter 6, Article 1, says, All persons elected to state office or to the legislature must make and subscribe the following declaration to it. I do declare that I believe the Christian religion and have a firm persuasion of its truth. State of North Carolina, 1776, Constitution said, Article 32, No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion or the divine authority of the Old and New Testament, or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom and the safety of the state, shall be capable of holding any office or place of trust or profit in the civil department within this state. That was in effect until 1876, a full 100 years after the Declaration in North Carolina. You had to believe in God in order to hold office. And the Charter of Privileges in Pennsylvania, 1701, granted by William Penn, said that all persons who shall
shall profess to believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, shall be capable to serve this government in any capacity, both legislatively or executively. So here in Pennsylvania, they said, thinking back, we're at a time when there's all these different denominations. Back in England, it was whatever the king believed, the people believed. In Europe, whatever the different princes believed, the people underneath them had to believe. When William Penn started Pennsylvania, he said, look, it doesn't matter what Christian denomination you are, as long as you believe in Jesus Christ, you are capable to serve in the government in any capacity. The Constitution of the state of Pennsylvania, frame of government, section 10, said each member of the legislature, before he takes his seat, shall make and subscribe to the following declaration. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the rewarder of the good, the punisher of the wicked, and I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Imagine that. They not only had to put their hand upon the Bible, they had to confess that they acknowledged that that Bible was inspired by God, that they believed in it. Bill, you know, one of the things that is sort of ironic now, there are many uh, pastors and many theologians of a liberal persuasion and skeptics, if you will, who are in pulpits who couldn't put their hand on the Bible and say that about the Bible today. You're absolutely right. It's a very, very sad situation we find ourselves in, isn't it? Because people don't know the truth, they've been allowing themselves to back up more and more from the strong stand that Christ and our founders wanted them to take. But again... If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. That's what we're praying for, a humbling of our nation. I see some of that humbling. I perhaps think that I see the judging hand of God as well upon our nation. And I think, Bill, we had better be called to prayer. Definitely. Bill Federer has been our guest. Bill, thank you very much. And I appreciate that on behalf of the listener and on my behalf as well. It's been indeed a pleasure. Today's program with Bill Federer is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Today in the Resource Center, we have Bill Federer's book, America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. This best-selling resource of profound quotes highlighting America's noble heritage. This book contains quotes from presidents, statesmen, acts of Congress, Supreme Court decisions, state constitutions, colonial charters, scientists, explorers, pioneers. Topics include character, virtue, law, freedom, faith, courage, liberty, providence, God, government, and so much more. Easy to use, alphabetically arranged, fully footnoted with subject and entry index. This comprehensive encyclopedia makes it easy to see our founding fathers' faith in their own words. With over 840 pages, this bestseller is used by students, scholars, pastors, and really anyone interested in hearing facts of faith direct from the source with easy access to the references. Order your copy of America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations by Bill Federer when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, James Collins and David Hamblin will unveil the mysteries of the last days. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. 
Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.